found all over the Earth. How do the extraterrestrials travel from star to star system with almost no time passing? Ohio Exopolitics is on at 8, 10 p.m. Eastern on Revolution Radio. Join Mark Snyder as he interviews a myriad of excellent guests each Saturday night on Revolution Radio. Hello, everyone. I'd like to welcome all of you back to Ohio Exopolitics. I'm your host, Mark Snyder. My guest this evening is Barbara DeLong. She has her own show on Revolution Radio. And uh, we recently did a program together about the Meyer Prophecies. And I invited her back uh, this evening. I've had such good responses from listeners about the program that we did. I thought we would try... uh, stage two of this. Barbara, how are you this evening? Doing well, doing very well. Actually, I'm so surprised that um, you're such an expert in the Billy Meyer material. Um, I'm surprised you never took the predictions from different points in time and compared them. That just shows you how important it is to get other people involved in this stuff, man, so we can all look at it from different perspectives. I am going to dive right into something uh, this evening. It's Contact Report 7, and I'm going to start out by reading a little bit here. Um, Let me give just a slight bit of background information. Uh, Most people that have listened to the show have probably heard me talk about Billy Meyer a little bit. He is about a 79-year-old man. He lives in Switzerland uh, in a beautiful, tiny mountain village called Hinterschmidruti. Uh, he grew up in Bulak, Switzerland, and his contacts with extraterrestrial humans started back in 1945 with a man named Svath, who he met with for 11 years. And then for the next 11 years, he met with a woman named Askit, who was actually from a parallel universe to ours called the Dow Universe. Uh, after that, Billy spent about 11 years living a normal life, and about 1975, a woman named Semyasi started landing her beam ship there in Switzerland. And that's about the time Billy started taking all those photographs. He took about a thousand, over a thousand photographs, and he took 30 minutes of color film of these ships. But the most important thing that happened, I think, was the meetings. And the, all the contact notes were, were recorded. And what Billy would do is he would go home after a meeting and then there was something on the ship would actually contact him and send him symbols. And then he has the ability to decode these symbols, and he would type these uh, contact meeting notes out word for word at about 60 or 70 words a minute with one hand. And in Contact Report 7, this occurred around, right around 1975, and Billy is asking Sim Yase about uh, the history of the human race. And I'm just going to start out uh, by talking or reading this first, uh, Barbara, and then I think you'll, you'll be intrigued by what it has to say here. Billy says, my next question deals with the earthly human races. We have here yellow, red, white, brown, and black people. How does it work with them? Why are the, there are these different colors? And Semyasi says, This actually belongs to the history of Earth humanity, which I still wanted to pass on to you. 
But I want to answer the question for you now, and I can spare myself the remarks later. On Earth, there aren't just the five color races specified by you. It's just that the others are completely unknown to you. In part, they live in places where no human being has been able to find them yet, partly. And Billy interrupts her and says, Do you mean that they live perhaps underground, such as the assertion is that in the case of Mexico, or that they live under domes and inaccessible mountains, or inside of hills, about which also incredible things are told? Sure, Semyasi says, and here and there, and these races also go into the world of the sun, and I have no idea what she's talking about there. And that could be a mistranslation, I don't know. But she says they go into the world of the sun and mingle with the surface inhabitants. So we'll just leave that. I have no idea what that means. Particularly in countries with many races, they aren't noticeable and they can move around unencumbered, especially if they veil their faces in a nationally traditional way. It is more difficult when their complexion is very striking. So, for example, bluish. And then Billy interrupts. Billy says... They live in the Indian area, yes? Semyasa says, you know this? <laughs> Billy says, I have eyes in my head. Of course, but you've outrun, you've outrun me again. Semyasa says, I wanted to say that some differently colored races already became extinct again a long time ago. But they are equally the product of the celestial suns. Now, the celestial suns are extraterrestrial humans. And the Meyer information says that during the time of Atlantis and Lemuria, about 133,000 years ago, we had a whole migration of people from uh, nearby star systems that built uh, the cities of Atlantis and Lemuria, and we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. And then um, before that, 150,000 years ago, a, a king of wisdom, as he was called, named Pelagon came here from the Pleiaran system, which is some 500 light years away and in a different space-time configuration. And before that, there were people who lived in the southwestern United States that uh, destroyed each other with nuclear weapons, and that's how we got our Death Valley and Fire Valley. So these celestial suns that Semyose is talking about are extraterrestrial humans and she says, they were begotten of them, like the still existing earth races. The celestial suns, or star travelers, as we will call our ancestors, were native to various planets of stars in another space-time configuration, or far away from the soul system, where the planets were fundamentally different climatically, consequently, they also produced other races that were able to adapt themselves to the climate from the very beginning, those who were climactically conditioned also developed suitable skin colors, of whom there are countless ones in the universe. The heights of their bodies ranged very differently depending on the gravity of the respective planet. They ranged from 50 centimeters tall to several meters. And later it talks about some of these Giants that were over 30 feet tall. There were and even beings that you call giants, colossi, or titans. And such beings also once animated the earth. 
Now, that's a topic you're interested in, I know. Yeah. Barbara, giants. But uh, let me continue here, and then we can discuss some of this. There are also witness descendants here, but they were gradually wiped out because they were usually very malicious and extra exercised tyranny. The different color races of today are thus descendants of our variously colored ancestors who came from different planets of foreign stars. And Billy says, then the current people of the Earth actually weren't solely created on Earth, and they aren't descended from the apes. Semiasi says, do you believe then in this ape-human theory? Billy says, I'm not stupid. My intellect tells me something different from the crazy brain of Darwin, who set this shower story in the world and fraudulently substantiated it with distorted ape bones, which has been concealed and kept secret by the responsible persons of this day. So Master says, I don't regard you as stupid. But he says, I didn't mean that in such a way. It's just a figure of speech. To explain the way I feel, Semyasi says, oh, I see. Well, you're right with your view that the people of the earth are not descendants of the apes. They were partially begotten by our ancestors, who also mixed themselves with earth beings who simply were called Evas at the time. A designation that means, and then Billy interrupts, the bearer or the one who bears. Semiasi says, surely, but once again you beat me to it. How did you know that? Billy said, I have heard, I've also had my head for thinking and for combing. But on the other hand, I also know the Talmud of Emmanuel, somewhat more than just which still exists in the German language. And before we start talking about the Talmud of Emmanuel, I thought I would just shut up for a minute and give Barbara a chance to say something. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it's, I find it fascinating, especially in looking at the time frame. Now, this was done in the 80s, right? 80-something? Uh, the meetings with Semyase started about 75, and they went up into the early 80s, yeah. Okay. I, I find it totally fascinating to... Um, read into into all of these because um, they predate the release of information mm-hmm. and and you know when when you read through them you know real fast you know you go of course of course of course and then you have to go back and you have to say to yourself well when was this material scientifically proven and and I find it really fascinating that um, Billy's material, more often than not, I don't want to say 100% because, you know, that would be saying he was perfect. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think he is. Um, but um, because what, and, and the material about the Colossus is there, there are um, some of the fables go, and especially the Bible goes that, you know, the giants did mate with the earth women and, and that their children, um, not the giants, but but the fallen ones or the extraterrestrials or, you know, whatever you want to call them. Um, Something out of our indigenous people mated with the beautiful women of Earth and their siblings were giants. And part of one of the stories goes that that they became um, voracious and 
they ate their parents out of Hassan home and then they ate everything they could eat in the countryside and then they turned into cannibals. And if you go into some of the Native American fables of giants, um, some of the fables talk about how they would eat human flesh, that they were cannibalistic. And, 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 and then, of course, you have the flip side, that, that there were others that, that you know, um, integrated themselves into the tribes and became part of the tribe too. But his material, th- there always seems to be something that you can almost relate back, back biblically and then you can relate stuff back to the, um, to the myths that, that are around us constantly. And you, you start to, to see that, that his material really does fill in some of the pieces of the puzzle that are missing as far as our historical um, understanding of our species and, and even the culture of North America. So um, I, I find that, that his prophecies and his predictions to be very enlightening because he always has been ahead of his time. And, and this is a simple man. This is a man that did not have a great deal of traditional education. He ran away from, um, he, he stopped going to school because they asked him to. And, and then he ran away from home and he joined the foreign legion. And then when he got out of the foreign legion, he lost his arm in a bus accident. And then he married a woman and, and he, he had been told he would lose his arm. And, you know, he had been, I think in, in a lot of ways, a lot of the material he got when he was younger, he sort of discarded and he didn't pay attention to. And I've, I'm finding that in, in especially, you know, I'm mostly interested in the predictions and the prophecies. Um, they seem to um, repeat themselves. There are certain things that repeat themselves over and over and over again. And the, the closer you get to current time and the, and the most recent ones that I have read were from 2009, you can sense the frustration in the voices of um, whoever is talking to him. And, and I think one of the things that I read uh, from 2009, they, they said, you know, we're not going to give you any more predictions because nobody listens to us. <laughs> And and he had such great frustration because there's information there about about the destiny of the planet and how we can or cannot save not only the planet but our species. And you know they seem and yet they also I do believe I saw someplace that if it gets really too bad they will intervene. You'll have to correct me on that. I'm not sure if that's right, but I'm pretty sure that someplace I read that that they said that you know if you come so close that you 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 know get to the point where you're going to destroy the planet will intervene and and prevent that. They'll probably yeah. There's a couple prophecies. I think it's in uh, Contact Two Fifty One, where there. They they said it like this, uh, that there are certain, depending on what happens in certain wars, there may be an extraterrestrial component involved. Now, I don't, uh-huh. that may not be the player in themselves, but I, they have, they would, if we would literally destroy the planet, they probably would intervene because it might affect something off the earth. It, you know, it's it, it's fascinating. He's been having these visitations for probably sixty some years, and and 
you know, because of his spiritual energy and the evolution of his spirit, you know, they were drawn to him. And and as with most, and, and I, I, I come real close, to, and I have called him a prophet, because what he writes is truly inspired writing and and the other inspired writings that we've we've been exposed to from ancient prophets um have actually been equally as encouraging and disturbing and and almost every prophet whether it's Jesus or Buddha or whoever um talks about um love and treating everyone with kindness and but 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 Billy's stuff goes beyond that, and it goes into the, the we are overpopulating the planet, and that we are we are causing great harm to the flora and the fauna. And I think the one thing that that I um, the one the one fragment you, you know there's always a piece of information that keeps coming forward in your mind when you read material is that in the last ten thousand years there have only been 250 years in which there was no war going on on the planet. It's not a good sign, is it? Well, you know, I mean, we like to think that we are um, evolved and, and, you know, and lots of people think we are, you know, the master race and all of that. But the reality is it's survival of the fittest. And quite often, survival of the fittest means that you know you you kind of kill your opposition, <laughs> and 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 so I don't, I don't know in 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 almost every culture you know those that are surviving those that are the ones that are going ahead are the ones that have had the power to defend themselves and and to um, do that through through war not through negotiation. And, and if you look at the planet at this point in time, there are constant wars going on. And we, we are able to negotiate. We are able to talk. We are able to make peace contracts. And yet we make them and break them as though they were nothing. Look what we did to the Indians. I mean, we had our treaties with the Indians and we proceeded to just try to wipe them out fast as we could. Nice. Um and and it it does make you kind of wonder that that you know we have nations whose borders are being shrunk and expanded and shrunk and expanded um, today, and and it's it would be so simple to sit down and talk it all out. Well, that brings me back to Billy's first contact was when he was in, uh, back in 1945. He was about five years old. And he would get these telepathic messages to go out into the forest. And then one day, out of the sky came a silvery pear-shaped craft, which landed nearby. And um, Svoth stepped out of the ship and brought Billy over and took Billy up, oh, some 70,000 feet in the, in the in space, actually, probably 70,000 meters, actually. And there's, young Billy got to look down at the beautiful blue earth. You know, he's a young boy, five years old, and he's looking around in the ship, and he can see on all the displays various people that Svoth is looking at and watching. And Svoth tells Billy 
about a time that's coming called the third millennium. And it's the time we're in now. And in the third millennium, confusion and maliciousness will spread over the earth. And Barbara was talking about wars. And Svath told Billy that the United States would drop the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And that would mark the beginning of what he would call the third millennium. And uh, that's the age we're in now. And that's where all these prophecies are focused on. Now, I have a clip here of Oppenheimer, who quotes one of the uh, Hindu scriptures uh, after the first nuclear explosion. So uh, help me out here, Barbara. It might just take a second or two. I'll play this clip, and you can let me know if I get, do anything wrong here. <laughs> Five, four, three, Two, one. In the dead silence of the morning, at 5.29.45 Mountain War Time, the Jornada del Muerto was bathed in an intense flash of a light that man had only seen from the stars. sobering uh, words. Yeah, and I personally know a man who was in the army at the time who was in one of the trenches that were dug. Wow. And he spoke of how when the flash went off, he looked at his hand mm -hmm. and he, he could see through his flesh. He could see his bone structure. So he got some x-rays, didn't he? <laughs> oh, my goodness. He, I, he was the assistant principal at a school I taught at. Yeah. And every six months, they, they, they continued to test him. Really? Yeah. He, and, and I'm sure they've continued if he's still with us today. Um, yeah, and Einstein um, was, was horrified at the power of the bomb and, and urged the government not to drop it. So um, it was definitely, um, you, you, you kind of wonder where did, did that technology come from? Because that was in, in what, the early, what year was that when we, well, when we the first? We probably developed it in 43 or 44 and tested it near the end of 45 and then so, dropped it on Japan twice yeah. in 45. Because, you know, you got to think with 
I personally believe that, that, you know, we have had crafts that we have reverse engineered stuff from since before 47 and, and, um, you know, the, mm-hmm. that, that particular crash. And, and I really think that in many ways, I'm not so sure if it's, you know, Billy's, Billy's star people, but, but I do believe that, that we have gained power that we should not have had. Yeah. Because we don't have the capacity to utilize it wisely. Look, look at what they do. Every time there's an invention of some sort, they try to develop a weapon out of it instead of how can we help humanity. Right. I mean, uh, and, and I just don't think we should have, I think we were given a toy that we just didn't know how to play with. Or, or utilize exactly, exactly, and that's why I do believe that that, that ships, you know, have gone over, especially nuclear uh, launch sites and things like that, and just turned them off. Just you know, um, there there have been a number of circumstances where UFOs have been hovering over launch sites and have just absolutely cut all the power, and kind of like trying to tell us, no, this is not something you use. You know, there has to be a better way. Well, it's interesting that Svoth told Billy about the atomic bombs that would be dropped. Um, The other thing that I find very interesting about their conversation was when Svoth talked about Billy's past lives. And I say Billy, and that's really not an accurate way to look at it, because... Uh, Billy's spirit form had incarnated on the earth as the people that we call Enoch, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Emmanuel, and Muhammad. And we were talking just briefly. We we mentioned the Talmud of Emmanuel, which is one of the most uh, controversial parts of the Meyer material. And uh, one of the things that I was always puzzled about, I always thought, well, how could we possibly get the name wrong of the central character in uh, Western society? And as I did more and more research, I found some very interesting uh, facts out. First of all, the letter J did not really exist in the ancient world. Uh, The letter J began right around 1550. Mm-hmm. And uh, a man named Gian Giorgio Torissino invented the letter J. He was an Italian scholar, and he was working in German. And that's when he first came up with the letter J. So the letter J appeared first in German and then in French right around uh, 1550. Well, what they did is then they went back later and started uh, substituting the letter J for the letter I in various areas. Uh, for example, let me in the in the original, the earliest King James, and in the Gutenberg Bible, the Book of Job was not called the Book of Job. It was the book of I.O.B. And by the same token, uh, Jerusalem was not called Jerusalem. It was Jerusalem. And it goes on, John was not John, 
but something like Yohannine. So what we did is we went back, including like Julius Caesar. It wasn't called Julius at the time. So we went back into all these documents and substituted the I for the J. Now, and I can give you an example of that from um, art history. If you look at the old um, crucifixions, a lot of the paintings will have the acronym INRI at the bottom. Mm-hmm. In the Latin means Iesus Nazarenus Rex Iodorium. Now, the name Iesus, I-E-S-U-S, represents the Latin inscription, which in English we read today, Jesus. Uh Because the I was separated with or substituted with the letter J. So there's, there's an example of what happened. If you look at the old English alphabet, there is no letter J in it. And there are other missing letters. So... What some argue is that he he originally was called Yeshua in the Hebrew, uh-huh. and in the Greek it became I E S O U S, and then the Latin I E S O U S, pronounced roughly the same in both ways, and then eventually became Jesus in the English. I, I, while you're on the the different spellings and everything, I wanted to ask you. I think it. I don't know if it was in um, Contact 215 or if it was in the other link you gave me, but Billy kept bugging his contact for prophecies of it, it. It started with an H and it almost looked like Enoch with an H in front of it. Henoch. Yes. Henoch. Yes, that's another example of how we changed the names of these people in the past. The, the, the name was Henoch. And it's the Henoch prophecies. Contact 215 are the Henoch prophecies. Now, it's really interesting because you remember the story of King Arthur and Merlin? Sure. Well, Merlin had gotten a hold of the Henoch, some of the writings of Henoch. And he learned how to meditate, and he learned how to um, meditate very profoundly, and it it gave him the ability to look forward in the future somewhat. Mm-hmm. And he got this reputation as being a wizard. But he was he's just someone that got a hold of the Hanak prophecies. So well and I know that the that Enoch is one of the incarnations that, that Billy is supposed to have lived right. as well. Yeah. So so, you know, I'm, and I've noticed in, in a lot of, I, I, I'm finding myself reading more and more and more of this, his material. Um, it feels to me as though every now and then I see a name that I recognize that they're utilizing very much like, like the Eve and the Adam um, names come through, you know, they, the contact people um, star people are, are using names that we have that we here on the earth plane have have used in our um, our histories and our mysteries and stuff like that and, and especially with the blue people of course you know the Indian um, Vedas and everything I mean they were all blue and it's <laughs> not it's not that they didn't have pink paint 
It's just, it's that the people were blue and therefore they were painted blue. And if you look at um, some of the Egyptian paintings, uh, you'll, you'll see that the blue is used, especially with um, Anunnakan and, and his family. Uh, there are many hieroglyphs in which they are all painted blue. They aren't painted um, the same hmm. color. So that's, that, that's very you, interesting. You know, you, you kind of, you, you kind of think, why are they painting it this color? Because it's the wrong color. And I do believe that that they were they were very accurately depicting what they were seeing or experiencing. Well, I kind of went off on that tangent for the Talmud of Emmanuel, and I let me continue on that thread just for a second. Uh, mm-hmm. The Talmud of Emmanuel is a it's a, it was a scroll. It was discovered by Billy and a Greek Orthodox priest by the name of Issa Rashid, uh, roughly in the early 60s, I believe. Uh, Issa Rashid translated part of it. Uh, it was supposedly the source material for the four Gospels. In other words, the Meyer information explains that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were actually taken from the Talmud of Emmanuel. At least that's what it says. Mm-hmm. And Isha Rashid did a partial translation, sent that to Billy, but was later killed by the Mossad, um, who didn't want this information to get out. His whole family was machine gunned to death. So the first version of the Talmud came out, and then uh, Billy explained that because of Issa Rashid's religious background, he kind of did not do the best uh, translation in many ways. So they they kind of have a new version that's about ready to come out. And I, I'm interested to hear that. Well, we're, wasn't it wasn't the material totally destroyed, whatever Isha Rashid ha- still had? I, as far as the original, yes, I think it was. So what what is what remains is his first translation is is what we have yeah and now Billy how he does all that he does don't ask me I don't <laughs> some of it he can pull down from what are called the storage banks supposedly uh-huh. there are storage banks in the universe and in the plant we have planetary storage banks and uh, it's a very interesting notion because I often talk about one of his writings how it all began where Billy crawled out a lower window in his bedroom and when he was about four years old, sat down on a bench and looked up at a beautiful starry sky. And they heard his own voice say, since ancient times I lived among the stars. And my life exists because of the love of creation. And he also said, uh, the infinite love of creation connects all life because in all life, that love lies hidden. And there is a very interesting writing, one of Billy's newer writings. It says, The Source of the Oneness of the Universe is the title of this. And I'll read just a little bit of it. It says, The whole universe is a oneness which flows through all things, all existence and all life. In this oneness, the human being who has distinct needs is also integrated. Whereupon the universal oneness also responds 
when he, she brings his or her words to expression. It responds to the positive thoughts and feelings and to the positive word pronounced and indeed in an equally directed wise. Consequently, a positive reaction takes place. So the universe that we live in is is the intelligence behind it is not God. Okay, the Meyer material does not use the term God. There, it says there is no heavenly Father. There is an impersonal spiritual energy, and this impersonal spiritual energy radiates love. Now that may be a contradiction to some people, but we think of love in terms of something personal. Uh huh. But this impersonal spiritual energy. It does not even have a personality, if you can understand that. It radiates love. The incredible splendor of nature is the visible expression of the love of creation. And love is the highest principle in all of creation. And everything follows that principle in absolute logic. Every tiny plant, every tiny animal fulfills its purpose in love, and only humans can turn away from love. Now, love that the Meyer information talks about is also called the, the everlasting warmth which comes from the center of creation. But creation doesn't radiate love, not personal love. It radiates love much like our sun radiates light and heat. And you don't have a personal relationship with a star in, this, in our solar system, but your life depends on it. And all of nature on this earth depends on it. That's the way the creation is. It does not give commands like our scriptures have told us. It creates laws like the law of love. And the law of love is not a romantic love. It's, it's really, I like to think of it this way in a way, this is just my speculation, that it's more about survival. You see, because we're supposed to live and help live. And this is a wisdom conditioned love that understands that you and I and all the, everything in this universe is connected. And that's why the universe is called the oneness. Let me read a little bit more of this. Human being of earth. It is announced to you that you open yourself to the wellspring of the oneness of the universe, which gushes for you and out of which forms a rich stream upon which you set sail your whole life long. Open up your thoughts and feelings and climb aboard your ship of life in order to motor along down the stream of life and to find all the other uncountable sources in the universe which are connected in their primordial depths with the source of oneness. So that's the first creational natural law is love. And understanding love is starting to understand this oneness. The another creational natural law is striving. And we all have to continue to strive. We all have to continue to work and prove ourselves. And all of nature has to work all the plants, all the animals, and the people is no different. 
And if you stop striving, you will lose your happiness because your happiness is related to your striving, to your evolving your consciousness. The other creational natural law is called the law of harmony. And the law of harmony says you have to think in a neutral, positive way. And what does it say here in our writing? It says, to dwell only in that which is positive, equalized, affirmative, and optimistic, and to encompass and to include the source of the oneness in this wise. So if you think in neutral, positive terms, you will have happiness. If you think in two positive terms, you'll eventually be unhappy. And if you think in negative terms, you're guaranteed to be unhappy. Anyway, these this is the whole idea of the creation, the universal consciousness, and how that differs from the teachings now that are passed down in our religions. Oh, absolutely. And, and yet, there there is a movement, I'll call it a movement, um, of those who are on spiritual pathways, which which are guided and 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 embraced by what what are called universal laws, which are the exact same laws. And um, I find it interesting that as I as I move through this lifetime, this passage of lifetime, I begin to see. Billy's message is the same as other people's messages. It's it's the same message being given um, through different cultures, through different people, through different levels of society. And and it's almost like the message is out there. And if you can catch hold of it and learn it and apply it to your life, there is a greater richness and abundance within your life. And and it's, it's phenomenal to me. I mean... I've been on what I call a spiritual pathway for at least 50 years, and I've gotten to a point where it, it, it goes beyond religion because religion no longer serves. It is a way of life. It is a way of, of, of um, sharing my energy with other people. It's a way of, of living those laws that are cosmic, universal, and the same laws that you're talking about, worded just slightly differently, but absolutely the same ones. And, and I feel that, that, that every generation has, quote-unquote, prophets that, that put the message out there for those who are, you know, the, the old saying of for those with ears to hear and, and eyes to see. And people get to a point in time when they have that aha moment and their lives change. And we really do create our own... Um, <laughs> We, we do create our own reality by our perception of it. Yeah, Billy has this great book. It's called The Might of Thoughts, and it says that all the circumstances of our life comes from our thoughts, mm-hmm. which it's really hard sometimes to, to understand that because I think there's also a delay. Like sometimes we, we the circumstance of, of our life come out of thoughts that, you know, maybe we had a year or two ago. Let me give an, a, a real rough example. Like, say, you know, you're just habitually eat, overeating the past two years. You know, these are this is an activity that's coming from your thoughts. Well, then you notice you're overweight. 
So, but you really don't realize that it was, you know, your thoughts started two years ago where you were just starting to eat a little too much. So there's a time delay sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there there is the time delay and there's not only, not only for that reason, but, but it has to, you know, if you're changing your patterns, it has to be a consistent change. It has to be a constant change. You can't just say, well, today I'm going to embrace that. And then you wake up tomorrow and, well, crap, nothing's changed. I'm going back to my old way of thinking. Right. It, it, that doesn't work. No, it um, doesn't. It's a good point. It has, to, it has to become the pattern that you live in, not a one-shot deal. And you can't BS the universe. You can't – it, it's impossible. Trust me, I have tried. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but I've been so good. I've done so well and yada, yada. And, and – for the most part, it's right, but there, there are backslides. And, you know, when you backslide, then you go back to square one and you start again. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's how we learn. That's how we grow. But um, Billy's material is is definitely – it's got a message to it. And, and uh, you know, when you look and you see, you know, the fracking and the deforestation and we are destroying our planet to a great degree and, and – there's no way to, to you, know, you I mean it would be so so good if we could yell stop but but there are corporate entities out there that prevent it. My dad was in the FBI during World War II and he was in on a demonstration where they filled the car's tank with water and dropped a little white pill in and the car ran on whatever the pill was. Wow. Government the government bought it. And it's never been seen again. No kidding. You no, know, he saw that. And he saw that. Your father saw that. Yeah, he was right there when they were demonstrating it. That is the most incredible greed that's beyond. That is criminal. That is so but, criminal. Well, yeah, but look at look at the industry it would have destroyed. Well, you know, industries can change. I mean, granted, it would have cost a lot of money to, and there would have been the cost associated with this. But, you know, my God, I mean... I mean, this guy had, my dad said, he had a huge gallon jug full of these little white pills. And he he went and he put them in diesel, he put them in gas-operated one, he put them in, um, he put them in um, military vehicles, he put them in, he put them in, and this, this is cool, he put them in airplane engines. And how long would these vehicles run then on a single tank, like forever? No, it ran on, you know, however long the water lasted because the water became the fuel. So, oh, okay. So they were actually burning fuel or, or yeah. water. They were burning water. They were burning water. Have you ever was- heard of Stanley Meyer? It was another guy that, that did a similar thing. Um, but he did it with a kind of device that would, uh, it was, I think it was called, oh, electrolysis or something along those lines, where they would separate the hydrogen out of the water, and then the, they could burn the hydrogen. You know, the H2O, they would separate the H out. Yeah, but there would be, there would be exhaust from that. There was no exhaust from this. Hmm. And, I mean, it's, it's you know, we, we live in a society today where, where we are very controlled over what we what we actually have access to because there are amazing things that are happening. I think, oh gosh, let me. I I, I do believe it was back in the forties, but it may not have been quite that far back. Uh, a man discovered 
that with certain vibrations, um, uh, you know, auditory vibrations, he could cure cancer. And he did. I've also heard that I think it's vitamin B17, which is the same thing as Laetrile. Mm-hmm. Well, in a lot of cases, 80 to 90% of the time, will cure cancer as well if it's caught soon enough. Well, yes, and that's why, you know, it's, you know, oh, gosh, I mean, you know, the, um, what is it, KCAC-T, SEAC-T, um, that woman had 50,000 signed, um, she, she was a nurse, she she uh, was treating a patient, this goes back to 40s, I think, in the 40s, 50s, and she was treating a woman, um, dressing a wound, and she saw a scar, and she said to the woman, what's that? And she said, that's from where I had cancer. And um, she said, but there's no cancer there. And the woman said, no, you know, she got medicine, and it was a, it's an Indian recipe. Hmm. And and she it, it's a tea, and so she started to treat her patients with it, and it wasn't just cancers that it was curing, it was tons of other stuff. And um, you know, you know what's interesting, Barbara, and we are probably going to have to say this: that we are not giving medical advice right now. <laughs> oh no, not at all, not at all. I'm just, I'm just, you know, I have a personal knowledge because Patrick had cancer, and so we, we did, we did hunt out, and he did utilize a lot of the um, non-accredited cures. Now he still died of cancer, by the way. So, well, there. Um, I think what you're saying is. There is an established tyranny. There is a very there's an establishment in corporations. There's establishment in the medical community that is keeping information quiet because it doesn't serve the profit interests of these organizations, right? Exactly, and it's like with Nikola's Tesla. Um, J.P. Morgan asked him when when Tesla and um, and um, Edison were were you know, sort of parlaying for who was going to get, you know, the contract for electricity for the United States. And J.P. Morgan said to Tesla, well, where do you put the meter so you can charge for it? And Tesla said, there is no meter. It's just, you know, this comes just out of the ether. There's no charge for it. And I think that's what's essentially wrong with our society is it's too oriented towards greed. It's too oriented towards money. Mm-hmm. And instead of, you know, honestly trying to help each other out and help the planet out, there are these entities that are so focused on greed and just it's just ridiculous greed. I mean I mean if you know, if you have a hundred billion dollars, why do you need another hundred billion dollars? I you know at some point we have to start literally caring for each other and the planet and the animals and the plants. And, and I think that that comes back to Billy's messages because, um, I mean, Billy is, is a teacher. He's putting information out there and, and it's important for people to read not only the cool stuff, but, but, you know, what is the result if we, if we don't listen to the message um, Jesus was a prophet and a teacher, and uh, you know humanity as a whole tends to um, be afraid of someone who's trying to teach us things that don't go against what our traditions are. Um, so, so of course we killed Jesus, and you know Billy lives in obscurity, 
and yet he's he's putting his message out there. I think that if he had been any somebody like an L. Ron Hubbard and and tried to make money off of it and everything, that he probably wouldn't be. I mean, he has had attempts on his life. Yeah, I think uh, something like over twenty attempts on his life. I mean, he's he doesn't he's not looking to get rich on this. He's just he's a channel. He's an information channel. He's putting information out there for those who are ready to listen. And, you know, I kind of think that, that every generation has these, these um, individuals who put the information out there. And, and it's, it's always hopeful that that's what will catch on as opposed to the greed and the, and the corporate stuff. And, and, and it's just, it's, it's phenomenal. But, you know, in, in the 2009 material that I read of his prophecies, I mean, it, it's getting a little sobering to tell you the truth. Oh, it is. Uh, and uh, the 1958 version of the prophecies, Meyer warns the governments of Europe, and this is interesting. We'll probably have to talk about this a little more after the break. Uh, it says, um, to talking about, oh, let me start here. Then on February 3rd, 1966, an aerospace object will make a soft landing on the moon. Then in 1968, the outer fringes of Earth's space will be left. And later, the first trip to the moon will be undertaken, whereby up until the, the year 1972, five manned moon landings will take place through the USA, while a sixth moon landing, supposedly the first, on August 20th, 1969, will rest only on a worldwide stage deceit of the political armament race against the Soviet Union. In other words, the Meyer material said in 1958 that the first moon landing was a fake. Yeah, and and I've looked at some of the pictures. You had a guest on a while back. Yes, um, Bart Sabrell. I got both of his books. I've just gotten them. Seriously? Yeah, I just wow. got them in the mail. And um, I, you know, one of them is... Uh, the first moon base and stuff like that. But if you look at the pictures, now you would oh. assume. Are you talking about Bart Sabrell or Glenn Steckling? Steckling. Steckling. Oh yes, 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 yes. Go ahead. And and you would you would assume that pictures taken on the moon without an atmosphere to get in the way would have stars in it. But they don't. They have no stars. It's totally black. Totally black. <laughs> And, and, you know, I was looking at that and I was thinking, wait a minute, no clouds, no atmosphere. I mean, you can see the earth there, but, but we'll talk. We'll be back in five minutes, folks. Hello, everyone. I'd like to welcome all of you back to the second hour of Ohio Exopolitics. I'm your host, Mark Snyder. My guest is Barbara DeLong. We're talking about the Meyer material, but let me remind everyone that we are listener-supported radio. Please make a donation to help keep us on the air. I'd like to read something here from the 1958 Prophecies by Edward Albert Meyer. The time has just begun when the human conquers the depths of the oceans and slowly the power of the sun in order to win diverse energies from them. And the human is on the path in the next decades up to the new millennium to unlocking the secret of life as that will unravel the gene. Likewise, in the 80s of the 20th century, it will happen that the human can be bred through artificial fertilization. 
Well, already at the turn of the third millennium, humans and animals will be able to be cloned out of single cells without any act of procreation. That was back in 1958, Barbara. Pretty amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, and, you know, when I, when I read that, I thought, well, that's happened. And, you know, then I started to, you know, when I started to read all of this, I thought, you know, Mark hasn't kind of covered how the accuracy of what Billy says really has evolved into reality. And, and you know, that's when I said to you, hey, let's compare. <laughs> well, I think that's a good thing because it brings a lot of credibility to the uh, material. And I think it stimulates people's independent thinking. And they say, you know, they ha- kind of have the, oh, wow moment, you know, mm-hmm. which I have about every sentence I read <laughs> and the stuff. And anyway, let me continue here. The, sec- the end of the second millennium will, on one hand, be marked by very rapidly established commuter technology, computer. On the other hand, a rebellion and a great war, which will be called the first Gulf War, and the mm-hmm. second Gulf War will follow. Now, that was in 1958. That's pretty incredible, don't you think? Oh, yeah, and further on it talks about the president who starts, you know, it, 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 it doesn't name the Bushes, but they're there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's the father and then the son who comes to power after, after the father. So, I, I mean, it's, I think what fascinates me the most or what, what, what really blows my mind is that they've taken Nostradamus' Nostradamus's work and, I mean, I mean, there, there are such huge, there are shows about them. And Billy Meyer's stuff is even more accurate than Nostradamus. Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. You know, but um, this is, you know, this is a part of this whole establishment that needs to go away. Um, we have an establishment in the corporate world, in the medical world, in the, his, in the world of history. But even in the alternative community, there's kind of an establishment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot needs to change. A whole lot needs to change. Well, it, what, what, what is so mind-boggling is the prophecies throughout time have all been saying the same thing, that humanity's on a, a, a course of self-destruction, but it can be changed. And and Nostradamus says it, Billy Meyer stuff says it, and and nobody's paying attention to it. <laughs> well, no, some people are. There are there are people that are reading this material and are saying, "Whoa, look at that!" You know, this is this is something that we should pay attention to because there's information here that would be of of use of service, and and humanity could easily be helped by it. And um, I, I just, uh, when I started to read the different predictions and then I saw how the, the voice, the tone, the, the, the way in which messages were being given became more and more um, focused on you're not listening. Mm. And, and, and then it went into, you know, where, it's, where they saw the wars taking place. And, and the United States, unhappily, Seems to be, um, seems to be 
responsible for a lot of, of, of the, the desolation that happens because of aggression. Very true. And they also, um, in the 1958 prophecies, talked about credit cards. Yes, and, and cell phones. Cell phones. Absolutely. He had cell phones pegged, too, which I thought was just phenomenal. I sat back there and I said, holy mackerel. Because um, I remember, um, I'm older than you, so I, I remember <laughs> <laughs> the first cell phone where you had to lug around this huge battery and this very clumsy receiver, and you were lucky if you got a signal compared to what you know we have now. Um, it, it was, you know, it's phenomenal. But but don't you think the technology that we have, you know, or what they've made, you know, public is only like little trinkets. In other words, we haven't had anything that would upset the apple cart. You know what I'm saying? Because like you were saying, the two, the true technology breakthroughs have been suppressed. Like, mm -hmm. you know, the running uh cars on water and you know we probably have craft that can fly 15,000 miles an hour and don't need any kind of you know kerosene based fuel or any kind of jet fuel or anything well let's let's go back to the Meyer material because according to the Meyer material you know there is a celestial fleet out there just about that that you know we we have you know there are parts of our government that have that, that that are um involved in things that are that are beyond the you know our, our individual countries so there is a part of us that is you know trying to look out for our future yeah it's 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 a strange world we live in um and one of the big things that at least it has appealed to me. At least it's opened my eyes. Um, it seems to resonate. One of the things that Billy says is that the truth comes from your innermost self, your innermost contemplation, and your innermost thoughts. And one of the things that I think has really helped me is starting to understand the real slant on our history. Mm -hmm. Because if we really understood our history, most of our wrong thinking would just go away. Well, I, I totally agree with you, but our real history has also been shrouded in um, mystery. Oh, of course. Of course. So, I, I mean, if you just even look at the, the things that the government holds back from us. And, and if you want to go beyond the government holding back, then, then you have your other groups, your 1% of the 1%, and you have, um, you know, the Bohemian group, and you have, you have all of those, those elite family bloodlines that are, that are fighting to have control, and, and the planet does become um, a power struggle and then a power, a power keg. Um, you, you know, we have... Inventions that haven't been released to help humanity. We have development of, of, of um, technology that goes way beyond. I mean, they actually have those chips that are talked about that, that they have implanted in um, 
and some of the military people. Oh yeah. So, you know, all of the the things that it and my my philosophy has always been that science fiction is always a way of getting the public ready for what the reality is going to be in another twenty years. And if you look at at Star Trek, at the doors that open and shut when they walked, you know, towards them. Um, you know, we have that today in the malls. When you yeah. look at the tricorders, you know, those were the flip phones of 20 cell years phones. ago. Just, those were um, cell phones, right? Yeah, yeah. Look at the tricorders. Look at our cell phones today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, my, my cell phone, I have an app that I can detect studs in walls. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, there's a, there's a stud finder app. So... You know, we have in our hands technology that, that that is phenomenal. Now, not everybody uses it appropriately. People walking around texting each other constantly is not exactly the way the technology should be used. But 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 well, we that, have access to it. Well, that's what I, I kind of wanted to say is, and I don't have it in front of me. I've got all kinds of notes out here, but... Uh, I think it's Contact 543 that talks about the danger of our electronic media. Mm-hmm. And it literally destroys our brain. It destroys our cognition. So I tell people, try not to read anything online. Print the material out because it really, our electronic media, and try not to use your cell phone so much. I mean, and don't watch too much TV. <laughs> it, it, it literally destroys our brain. It destroys uh, the way our brains work entirely. So, well, as a as a retired school teacher, um, I'm horrified at at um, what is happening in our school systems today because our kids aren't being taught to think. Wow. And and you know when you when you stop and think about what's the purpose of school, what's the purpose of, of education, it's not to cram dead knowledge into them. It's to teach them how to think, to reason, to um, be able to solve problems. And our children aren't being taught that. Yes, that's very true. That's very very true. And the Meyer material speaks of all of this. <laughs> and. And, you know, I keep going back to the Meyer material because, I mean, and, and I strongly urge people to take a look at this stuff. And, and the website, is, what, what's Bill, what is the... Um, well, the one I always I take people to is uh, The Future of Mankind. Yeah. That's a it, very good site. That, that has the uh, the contact notes up there. And, and, you know, and then if you're, after you've read most all those, then you can probably start to order a few books. And I've always taken the easy way out so far and ordered from Michael Horn, but you can also order from the FIGU, F-I-G-U, the Free Community of Interest that um, kind of helps Billy organize his materials and do his translations and, and all that stuff. And uh, You know what I'd like to do, Barbara? I'd like to get us back a little bit um, and talk about Billy's second contact, ask mm-hmm. Have you t- have you read anything yet about his contacts with ASCII? Uh, I think the most the most that I've read are with some some Yasi, but um, probably not as much as you for sure. Uh, I like to talk about the meetings with ASCII because it opens up a whole different line of thought. When when Svath 
after about 11 years, Spoth told Billy that he was about to die and that he would get a new teacher. And this teacher would be a woman uh, from the Tao universe. The Tao universe is a parallel universe to ours. Uh, 46 trillion years ago, not only was our universe created, but this Tao universe. And people, uh, ask its people are called the Timmers. And they, they are also descended from the Lyrians. And they moved in, they developed a technology to span this universal barrier and to go into this parallel universe where they live now. Well, around um, 1956, Askett sent a robotic craft to Switzerland to pick Billy up. And he went up on top of this designated hill, and this robotic craft landed. And he felt literally pulled into the ship. And when he sat down there, he realized there was no one else in the ship. And as soon as he sat down, the ship sped away. And the next thing it did, it became invisible. And he couldn't see the ship, and he couldn't see his own hands in front of his face. And the ship flew at a high rate of speed all the way from Switzerland to the country called Jordan, where it landed. Billy stepped out, and he could see the red rocks and, and the heat. And shortly thereafter, out of the sky came this craft that looked first like a falling star, and it got larger and larger and larger, and eventually it was a 300-meter disc, and it landed, and out stepped Askett. And she took Billy back into her ship, and then they took her ship to somewhere near um, the Great Pyramid. And they both got out of the great uh, the, the ship, and she put a device on Billy's belt that made him invisible. And she had a similar device on her belt. And they traveled together walking. Uh, Billy play, played a few little tricks on some local women there. But eventually, they went through this passageway in the Great Pyramid. And they went far below the Giza Plateau, down into this area, this hallway. It was far underground, thousands of feet under the ground. And they went into the headquarters of what is called the Bafath, or the Giza Intelligences. And you've got to realize at this point they're completely um, invisible. And Billy sees a very ancient spacecraft down there. Somehow they've gotten it underground. There are guards all around. And he sees religious artifacts. And he sees on the ground a cross. And he sees a crown of thorns. And he sees uh, what look like blood-encrusted nails. And he's very troubled by all this. He doesn't know quite what to make of it. So Askin and him leave, and they take that long trip back up to the surface. And she starts to tell Billy about this splinter group of the Pleiaran that she calls the Giza Intelligences. And she tells Billy that they've been on the Earth since the time of the fall of Atlantis and Lemuria. 
And what they've done is they've used religion to try to control the people of the earth. And they actually worked. Is that you? No. That's not you? No. Is it you? No. You hear the beeping? Yeah, I heard the beeping. That wasn't me. I think we've got a third listener on. <laughs> I swear we do. I've been hearing weird noises all night. Oh, you know. <laughs> that wasn't you. No. The beeping wasn't you. How- Trust me, I don't beep. That's so bizarre. Anyway, I was talking about the Bifa, the Geese yeah. Intelligences. And um, Billy's trip into the Great Pyramid. What is, I don't know, the more I've thought about this over the years, I found this incredibly fascinating. Um, Eris the Eleventh was one of the first after after Atlantis and Lemuria. Maybe maybe I should start there um, to kind of, and I'll try to go through this quickly. It's a long story, and I don't want to um, dive too much into that. But about 133,000 years ago, and a couple extraterrestrial groups came here. One was named um, Atlant. He was a man of Lyrian descent. He was a king of wisdom and Ishwish. He brought his wife, Karayatide, and they brought thousands of settlers, and they developed a beautiful city on the island continent of Atlantis. Well, another man came here, uh, Muras, and he developed a beautiful city over in the area of uh, the Gobi Desert now. I don't think it was a, Go- it was a desert at that time. And it was the city of Mu, and underneath it were Agartha Alpha and Agartha Beta, two underground cities that were connected by a tunnel system. So, and these people lived for thousands of years without any problem. Well, the earth was very, very different back then. And there was, in the north, there was an area called Hyperborea. And it was actually the warmest place on the earth. It was a continual summer there. I don't know exactly how the earth was different. How I've heard about a firmament, cloud cover. But whatever caused this North Pole region to be always summer, beautiful with with all kinds of fruit trees. And there was a group of people that lived up there called the Hyperboreans. They had been on the Earth for 180,000 years, but they were extraterrestrial as well. Well, a man by the name that they called Eris the Barbarian, who brought also thousands of people with him, took over the area of Hyperborea. And his son, Aaron, Arian, went and conquered India and Pakistan. And they started to stir, stir up this great war between Atlantis and Lemuria. Mm-hmm. And eventually, the Atlanteans melted the city of, of, of Mu to the ground. And they killed pretty much everyone in the city. Probably some people escaped underground. And a few escaped in ships. And they went to our asteroid belt. 
and they took a very large piece of the destroyed planet Malona. Now, let me kind of digress again here. The Meyer information says that 100,000, 150,000, 200,000 years ago, that there were three planets in our solar system that supported life. The uh -huh. Earth, Mars, and this planet Malona. Now, the inhabitants of Malona destroyed their world, and they became our asteroid belt. When that world was destroyed, it threw Mars out of its orbit, and Mars kind of eventually died a slow death. Some of the people that were on Mars came to the Earth. But anyway, these Lemurians got a large fragment of this destroyed planet Malona, and they attached two devices onto it that were used to power it and move it towards the Earth. And they steered it like a great missile at Atlantis. And the Atlanteans were in their capital. They were celebrating. They had a dome shaped. It kind of looked like a spacecraft. And they looked up and they could see this fireball coming towards them. And they could hear this horrible howling sound as this this uh, great missile got closer and closer. Well, it exploded about 113, 120 kilometers above the Earth. And all of these pieces rained down, these fireballs rained down on various parts of the Earth. And the two biggest parts of this asteroid crashed into the Atlantic Ocean. And eventually went all the way to the bottom and hit the floor of the Atlantic Ocean broke it open, and upsurged um, magma from, from deeper within the Earth. Well, when that magma hit the cold Atlantic Ocean, it caused like almost like a, a geyser, an explosion that occurred, and this wall of water went up for miles. And eventually, it spread out and created this gigantic tidal wave, which wiped out, Atlantis and the impact of this uh, missile, this gigantic asteroid, shifted the Earth on its axis a great deal because originally Florida was up where the North Pole was mm -hmm. and it shifted Florida all the way down to where it is now. And this occurred 11,500 years ago. Well, shortly, maybe oh, a thousand years after that, it took about a thousand years or so for the Earth to kind of recover from this destruction, a couple thousand probably. And people started to come back from, again, these people from Beta Centauri. The first guy was Eris the 11th. And Eris the 11th was the beginning of this whole lineage of these Giza intelligences. And they ruled, and it was pretty much centered in Egypt. And it was Eris the 11th, and then I think a man named Jehovan. And then Jehovan had a son, Jehave. And this is over centuries. Usually the son would kill the father. And then Jehave was a ruler for several centuries. They were a brutal bunch. I, I have a question here. Sure. Where was, where was the wife? The wife was born. Bore something, Bor Boris. When you when you were giving the names, 
I suddenly um, flashed on the Aurora Borealis. I, I no, I don't. I don't get it. I'm sorry. I'm not. Okay, off. somebody's wife was. You, you were giving me the names of of the kings and the wife and things like that. Oh, way back. Hmm. And and oh, are you talking um, Atlantis and Lemuria time? Yeah. Uh, Karai, her her name is spelled K A R Y T I D A. I think. Okay, there was somebody who was. Sounded like Boris. I don't remember that. Yeah. So. I, I'm, yeah, I, 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 because the Borealis has something to do with the, the magnes, magnesphere and the plas, plasma of electrons and protons, you know, around that, that area of the country, the northernmost area of the country where you were talking about. Oh, are you getting a little clairvoyance flash? Yeah, is that what I think you're saying? So. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. Now I understand where it's coming from. Gotcha. And, and so you get those little insights sometimes, don't you? Now and then, yeah. Now and then, that's pretty cool. I, there's there's a connection there, but I'm I'm so sorry for interrupting you. Oh no, that's okay. Um, and then uh, again, about every two or three centuries, the 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 son kills the father. Jehave. Uh, eventually had a son, Erisame. Erisame was the one that brought it all underground, and he took over. Uh, Erisame was thrown out of power by a man named Hen. And as, as uh, controversial as this is, Hen was also called Jehovah, and is supposed to be, by the Meyer material, the Jehovah of the Old Testament. Uh-huh. And uh, Jehovah ruled was one of these Giza intelligences. And he ruled for centuries and then was thrown out of power by Kamigal I. And then Kamigal I was thrown out by Kamigal II. And now we're, we're roughly, we could, in the 40s at this time frame, in the late 30s, early 40s. And that's when the Giza intelligences started to influence the Thule Society, the Thule Society. Uh-huh. And there was um, a man, I believe, named Eric Steinschneider was the one that started to influence Hitler. Because Hitler actually, according to the Playaren, had great potential for good. He did. He was, you know, he was an incredible artist. And, and when his mother died, he gave up his inheritance to his sister. And um, he really... You know, you you, you got to wonder if he if he had been accepted in that art school, he might have been an amazing master of some sort. But but he did get connected to the Thule Society, and he got his mind got warped by they used mushrooms or they I think they used mushrooms, but they used some sort of mind altering. And they um, were influenced by these extraterrestrials. Yeah. And uh, I have a little clip here. I'm going to play. Ten things you didn't know about Hitler, kind of related to what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Hang on, folks. Number one. Hitler was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize in 1939. He was nominated by Brandt, a member of the Swedish parliament. The man was a dedicated anti-fascist, and he made the nomination as a joke 
but unsurprisingly, his sarcasm wasn't very well received. Number 2. Hitler invented the blow-up sex doll. German troops were getting syphilis from engaging with French prostitutes, so to counteract this, Hitler had lifelike dolls made that could pack into soldiers' bags and provide comfort when needed. Number 3. Hitler's first love was a Jewish girl. Lacking courage, he never spoke to her. He was only 16 at the time, and he wrote a number of love poems about her. Some sources claim he even contemplated suicide, as an escape from the suffering unrequited love caused him. Number 4. Hitler led the first public anti-smoking campaign in modern history. The Nazi anti-tobacco campaign banned smoking in public transport vehicles and raised the tobacco tax. They also promoted health education and organized lectures for soldiers. Number 5. Hitler was a vegetarian and created laws against animal cruelty. He passed laws which regulated animal slaughter as well as animal transport. Most importantly, he prohibited hunting and limited animal testing. Unfortunately, the animals previously used in medical experiments were replaced by the Jews. Number 6. Hitler was saved from drowning by a priest when he was four years old. The priest was around Hitler's age and jumped to the rescue when the ice under Hitler's feet cracked and he sank into the freezing water. Ironically, the hero grew up to regret the incident. Number 7. During the First World War, a British soldier spared the life of a wounded German. That German was Adolf Hitler. The soldier had a clear aim to kill at point-blank, but he decided not to shoot. Hitler later found an article about the soldier, recognized him in the picture, and saved the clipping. Number 8. Hitler planned to collect thousands of Jewish artifacts to build a museum of an extinct race after the war. He ordered the collection of 200,000 items, which were photographed and catalogued. The collection was meant to serve as a trophy case. Number 9. Hitler never once visited a single concentration camp. In fact, he was very careful about keeping a safe distance from all the dirty work. He deliberately spoke very vaguely about the subject and no written order about the killings ever existed. He gave the most sensitive orders exclusively and verbally. Number 10. Hitler only had one testicle. Reportedly, he was injured in battle, with his abdomen and groin suffering most of the damage. As a result, he lost one of his testicles. The war doctor supports this claim, although no conclusive evidence was ever made public. Hmm. Very strange and interesting information. I knew some of that, but not all of it. You know, one of the biggest revelations for me, uh, and I wish I could figure out some way to kind of get this to come forward on a radio show. There are, there are YouTube videos where you can see the English translation of some of Hitler's um, speeches and he seems like a raving lunatic if you just you know watch him but if you actually see what he's saying it's uh-huh. totally different <laughs> you'll get a totally different impression he's very intelligent he's very logical he he I see why people followed him now well he was charismatic there's no doubt about it and and he did uh, even have an he had a teacher um, to help him with his presentation and his quite often when he was getting up, especially in the beer gardens and things like that to speak, he would stand there for you know, five to 10 minutes and wait for complete silence and he'd get it. Really? Um, he was, he was amazing. And his, his artwork, you know, is out there and, and it's really, it's adequate. It's, it's really 
quite lovely during a certain point in time in his life. He, he made money by selling postcards with his artwork on it. Hmm. And it wasn't until, um, you know, he, he was, uh, he was made blind by mustard gas during, during the war. And he spent a great deal of time rehabbing. And, and then when he finally got back into, um, society, he was so, so, upset with with you know the politics of the time which were tremendous i mean you think ours are crazy um that that he did he he did have that kind of charisma that that attracted to him fanatics and they wrote on his coattails and they steered him in the wrong direction yes you know he could have been a force for good in the world he could have he could have been he truly could have been i mean he you know, the, you know, they they joke that the trains ran ran on time, and they did. And 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 the whole economy of of Germany recovered, mm-hmm. which is an amazing feat. But but he he, I I believe strongly that he did lose his mind. Oh yeah, that yeah. that, that yeah. he was totally corrupted by whether it was the drugs he took or whether it was. I mean, he was not that well. Um, he had. Um, I know he was a vegetarian, but he also had horrible um, acid reflux, and and he had digestive problems that were just out of sight. So so he wasn't really well. Right. And and he he strove he strove very hard to keep his image and not not have let anybody too close to him, so that so that um, he could remain you know that 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 uh, soul or whatever you know just kind of like. He he wanted people to look upon him as a god, and a god didn't have relationships and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. but uh, no, he was. Uh, I for a long period of time, I did a great deal of study on him because I can see that you have done some study on Hitler. I, yeah, <laughs> only because he had such great potential for good. And and had he not been been turned from the pathway, um, you you do wonder just just exactly. I mean, look at the scientists in 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 Germany at that time. We would probably be so much farther ahead right now. Absolutely, and and if Werner von Braun admitted that they had help from the Star People, so. Um, you know, they they there were communication, whether they had downed aircraft or, or whatever it was. They had jet engines before we did. Oh yes, of course. So so and and they were they were on target to I mean, they had everything they needed to, to create a uh, a bomb, but above and beyond that, they were working on time travel. There are all sorts of uh hints at that kind of stuff. Well, they yeah, they did discover um, the towers, and, and, and there was a bell-shaped object that suddenly crashed. I forget where it crashed, but when they, when they, when they discovered it and, and, you know, recovered it, it was the exact shape of the bell that was in the um, drawings that the, that the German scientists had. So it was almost like it was sent forward in time instead of backwards in time. The... Uh... I don't know if you've ever uh, – it's Herman Oberth was the man that I was trying to remember. And I think he was one of the teachers of von Braun who said – and it's right on 
YouTube, you can look it up yourself. Herman O. Oberts, and right there he says, we have been helped by people of other worlds. Uh-huh. Right there. I mean, there's no dispute. It's black, it's black and white. It's a video. Yeah, it's, and uh, but, 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 you know, once, you know, Operation Paperclip happened, I don't think that there was any more help. Because when, when you look at all of our rocketry and everything, it's the same old rocket sending things up all the time. We haven't improved upon that at all. Well, that's what I'm saying about our technology. I think it's being kind of um, – we're being pushed in a certain way. Where there's only certain things that are being released. Uh-huh. And it's, it's usually the things I, I don't think that are necessarily all that good for us. Well, you know, I, when you look at, at the propulsion systems we've got and everything, and, and then you look at these um, vehicles that, that we see and we catch, we catch sight of, you know, the UFOs, um, they are, there is no propulsion there. I mean, even the Vimanas were working on magnetic energy. energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that goes back thousands and thousands of years. So why we're still exploding stuff and shooting ourselves into space um, it's so um, it, it's so basic and fundamental. You know, we're never going anywhere with those ships, much yeah. as we would like to. Right. And and yet we haven't gone into the uh, matter antimatter stuff. We haven't gone into the the magnetic propulsion. We haven't gone. And and yet there are some vehicles that have that have played with it. We have test vehicles that that. You know, operate without without um, any um, anything other than the the etheric energy and and look at, look go back to Nikola Tesla. He was pulling the energy out of the air. It would seem to me that a propulsion system could be developed that would that would that would be able to utilize that energy if it could be used for electricity. It could be used for propulsion. And it would help nature so much if we could get rid of the. The gasoline engines and all the things that are destroying the natural world. Absolutely. And it says like right here, and, and this is the 1958 prophecy, it says, already, this is number one or nine, already for a long time the way of nature is lost for the human. And that will even continue to happen very much more as human be- believes in his high-mindedness that he is the ruler over life and death. And, you know, I mean, this may sound a little strange to people, but I just am still appalled the way we can just go in and just cut, clear cut a beautiful, you know, wooded area and not realize that we've done something wrong. You know, to cut down trees that are 50 and 70 years old and just and just destroy them. It's just astonishing to me. Oh, it it is amazing. And I don't see how they justify it. I truly don't because, you know, just looking at this country alone, there are plenty of open spaces already because we've already cut everything down <laughs> to, to, to go at, especially I think what, what, what horrifies me are the rainforests of South America. Oh yeah. I mean, the, the, the people there, the animals there, the cultures there, the, the antiquity there that, that hasn't been found yet. Um, is mind-boggling, and there's no need for it. There's absolutely no need for it at all. And 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 there, I don't know. 
I think they're they're actually planting crops of some sort, but I don't know what kind. Right. But, and but, here's another one here. Um, 117 from 1958 prophecies the hate in humans will create a secret order of destruction that rages darkly in people and engenders an evil poison that is aligned such that the authorities are to be fought against and at the same time to achieve money and wealth for oneself and control over the earth yet in the end the weak will listen to the rules of the powerful whereby however it will be that the laws will be passed in the dark whereby the poison of hate is aligned against the religions and the sects and the thorn of hate spreads against them in order to clear appropriate space. You know, they talks about in the Goblet of Truth the secret dark order mm-hmm. that we call the New World Order today. But... Um, well, in, in I, f- I forget if it was the 58 or the 2009, but... But in his prophecies, he he absolutely, um, basically, I, th- I think it was the two thousand and nine. He because he was saying that that religions will fall to the wayside. That um, you know, and and you know, if you if you send out prayers, there's no one listening. That that you know, you're in control of your own reality, and there's nobody who's going to come to rescue you. You need to rescue yourself. That that religion is just another tool that was created to um, dissuade you from the absolute um, focus of truth itself. And this is number 123, but still the human will be obstinate and not listen to the words, advice, and warnings of the prophets and the wise, yet that will be avenged as violent fires destroy great forest villages and towns. Have you been watching the wildfires? That Oh, yeah. Uh, up in Canada? Yeah. Canada recently, but we've had all kinds of them too. Mm-hmm. Incredible wildfires. Well, and you know the other part is uh, Mount St. Helens is rumbling again. Oh, is it? Yeah, they they they've had a lot of mini rumbles there, and and they're they're pretty sure that it's it's waking up to erupt once more. Um, and and my my own pet project of of. <laughs> I, you know, I talk about it so much. I'm going to be right someday. Um, but the the New Madrid fault line um, has also been rumbling. So that so that in the last time that went off in 1812, 1813, it was a magnitude eight or nine. Here's another one that is a little shocking to me. It says, "But the angst of humans will, however, be too late." Because too much will already be destroyed and annihilated by the turn of the millennium, resulting in ever more deserts overtaking the earth. Now, I don't know if you realize how much desert is expanding over the earth. The desertification of the earth is a huge problem now people are not aware of. And this is in 1958 he's talking about this. Well, yeah, well, look at, look at, at Egypt, look at the Gobi Desert. That was once you know, fertile land. And, and um, yeah, we, we are destroying the balance of nature, absolutely. And it also says here, the crushing deluge-like water becoming ever more violent and deeper, ripping everything with it, flooding and destroying. We've had all kinds of floods. Yeah. It's like a normal way of life. And this is what you were talking about earlier. Through the clear felling of the rainforest, the oxygen level in the air will already be in the third millennium until far along into it sink unnoticeably 
which will have effects on the health of humans and animals, while at the same time the pollution of the environment and the pollution of the air will take on such forms that people will be made sick from it, and the weak among them will perish. And we see people in China with the masks on all the time now. Well, yeah. Well, look at look at um, is it is it L.A. or is it San Francisco? They have a horrible smog problem there. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad I don't live in L.A. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but but it, it is happening, and you know, you get to the the place where we have we have so so uh, upset the balance. I mean, uh, I'm a gardener. I have huge gardens here. And and the bees are they aren't here as much as once they were, mm-hmm. and and you know we're people don't realize that we need them to cross pollinate the plants, and if the bees aren't there, then we're gonna we're gonna lose the plants, and it's the there is no there is no balance of nature anymore. One thirty-three says, and since time immemorial, the earth human still will not know for a long time into the third millennium why he lives and dies, what death means in reincarnation and birth, because of since time immemorial, he will wave his arms senselessly, futilely seeking the truth of creation and its laws and directives, because as since earliest time he hangs onto religions and sects that bring him to whimpering. Like small children. Yeah. That I, is sobering, isn't it? Well, terribly. And when when you when you understand that you are um, a part of that infinite out there, that that you have control over your reality, that that it's your responsibility to make your environment as pure and as balanced and as full of love as you can. You can't rely upon another person to do it for you. It's your responsibility. And and if life isn't the way you want it, you have the ability and the power to change it. And so many people today, and, and Billy talks about that. I mean, he's, he's preaching to the choir with me. I mean, it, it's you have the power to make the changes. And, and yes, you can't wave a wand and make the government go right because the government's wrong. But But... You can, in your own small world, create that kind of environment that that is blissful and happy. And and if enough of us do that with our own individual worlds, we will blend together to eventually be able to make changes in the world. But 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 until we do our own personal universe, there's nothing we can't look outside of ourselves and complain about to other people. We have to take care of our own, and then, and then blend and meld with others who are doing the same thing, so that, so that you become, not a power to control, but a power to heal. And it's interesting in these fifty-eight prophecies that he even gets to the, to the time when things will start to, to come around, and he says. And it would be in the distant time that the earth human builds great cities in the seas. And he will ordinarily move around in the depths of the water and nourish himself on all kinds of fruit from the seas. And in distant times it will be that humans talk reasonably and respectfully with one another. And they will accept the old messages of the true prophets because their thoughts and feelings will be open for one another. And the consciousness and the psyche will be balanced. And in the distant times, it will be that people will be many 
times older than they are in today's time in the year 1958 because their age will be hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. So we're going to eventually get through all of this. Yeah, but you'll notice he doesn't give you in the distant future. You know, it's like, um, and, and today we have so many false prophets that it's it's hard to tell where the truth is. And, and I think the truth is hidden in people like Billy who are putting the message out there and not trying to push it down anybody's throat and not standing in a pulpit trying to preach it. It's, it's here it is, and it will find who it's supposed to be embraced by. He does mention 800 years, though. Mm-hmm. So that kind of gives us at least a rough time frame, which is good. Uh, you know, what's, I'm really glad that you really kind of wanted to discuss the prophecies, especially the 58 prophecies, because there's a kind of soberness about this that really grounds you. It's hard to put into words, but I think it's good to really look at these. It really, really is. Well, yeah, and and not only that, but if you look at the 58 prophecies and then you look at the 2009, you, you, you feel the frustration of the companion, the companions. You, you feel their frustration at you're not listening. <laughs> I mean, Billy's listening. Billy's putting it out there. He's doing his very best. And if he, if he became more public, he would most probably be killed. Here's one that you probably read. And in distant times, it will be that the man alone will no longer be the ruling power because from then on, the woman will steer the fate of the world and humanity as true mother of the earth because she will wield her scepter over the man and break his imperiousness, tyranny, power, lust, and addiction to war in order to end the times of ugly, masculine, barbaric, barbarism, and nip in the bud man's devilish and murderous and high-handed acts in order to finally allow peace on the earth. I did read that, but, you know, I also read a book that called When Women Ruled the World, and, you know, I got to tell you, it goes way back in time, but we weren't all that great either. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a reason we're not in power. <laughs> well, in the future, you will be, and the, and the women are going to straighten things up, which is good. And in distant times, it will be that true love wakes in earth humans. And this will be shared with all, whereby the existence transmutes an easy time and long-cherished dreams and wishes become reality, while the evolution of the consciousness grasps possession of all people, whereby enters the true end of barbarism. So that's great. I mean, there's it, it is, a good ending here. It, it is. It's a great ending. But but the in between time is you know not that pleasant, but um, I truly believe that humanity will survive whatever it is we bring upon ourselves, and that that at some point in time, awareness will stretch to a to a place where we can see beyond our own personal gains into into looking at ourselves as a as a brotherhood of man and a species as opposed to individuals. And in distant times, it will be that people will hurry through the universe from one end to the other in great and powerful spaceships, and they will have no more boundaries. And in distant times, it will be that the forests, the wetlands, the meadows, and the fields bloom again 
as also the deserts, which will be enlivened and planted, and in which many kinds of trees, bushes, grasses, and flowers will reveal their glory, so that the earth will be a wonderful garden in which the human will respect and honor all that lives, creeps, and flies. And I'll be looking forward to that time. Well, I also truly believe that that in a lot of these burial mounds and chambers, there are seeds that haven't been altered, and and some of them 10,000 years old, and I know they found some in a jar in the Ohio Valley, and they actually planted them, and they found that that the yield was far richer and greater than anything we have today. And I do believe that there are more such places where seeds have been saved that haven't been chemically altered or or genetically enhanced and and it's amazing well barbara i appreciate you coming on the show and i've really enjoyed chatting with you again about these prophecies and all the other meyer information and um when is your show tell people about your show quickly show is monday night on revolution radio studio b it's called nightlight 10 o'clock 10 oh yeah i'm sorry 10 to 12 <laughs> All right. Thanks, Barbara. My pleasure. We'll see you next time, folks. Ohio Exopolitics. Have a good evening. Listening to Revolution Radio. Enter into a world unseen on Raven Star's Witching Hour. You will encounter eclectic topics from the realm of spirit brought into our matrix of truth. With your host, the Solaris Blue Raven. Solaris will bring you an array of unique guests covering topics from ghostly spirits to amazing anomalies, covert technology, UFOs, and shadowy global events. And that's right here at Revolution Radio FreedomSlips.com, Saturdays, midnight till 2 a.m. Eastern Time. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. Let the magic rise. Hi, this is Bo. And this is Rocco. And the Bo and Rocco Show is here to offer insight into legal and lawful remedies. Our goal is to remain free and help others remain free in an ever-increasing police-like state. With the help of our guests, we try to answer questions such as what went wrong and what can we do about it. So tune in to Revolution Radio at www.freedomslips.com Wednesday nights, 10 to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to listen to the Bo and Rocco Show. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. Revolution Radio. Every Tuesday evening on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com, we present our goddess spiritual warrior, Kathy Bilski. I command. I call to the architect of the universe's divine creators and ask for permission to quantum leave the world in all life forms on all planets.